Hey everyone, welcome. Welcome back to Pillars. Dylan Bowman here with yet another episode. That is right. I have been a podcast recording maniac recently and I have just been loving it and I hope you guys do too. Today, my guest is the Canyons 100K champion, Salt Lake City's Anthony Castales. Anthony has definitely been making waves on the ultra scene for the past few years, but last weekend was definitely his coming out party, I think in a lot of ways, where he really made his mark in his 100K debut by beating a very stout field to earn his golden ticket into the Western States 100 at the Canyons 100K. I admittedly didn't know a ton about Anthony myself going into this conversation, but I am now a huge fan and I really look forward to watching his continued success in the trail and ultra scene. We of course talked about his background, his racing history and progression in the sport before we went deep on the Canyons 100K victory and the training that went into it and how Anthony is looking ahead to Western States. I should say that I am also interviewing women's champion Beth Pascal this week, and we will put that episode up as quickly as we can once it is recorded. And I can't wait for that one too. Oh, racing is back. I love this stuff so much, if you can't tell. And if you guys enjoy the show and want more of it, please do go download and subscribe our app. It's called Pillars. You can find it in the iOS or Android app store. It is the first app made specifically for trail and ultra runners, at least that I know of. And uh, we'd love to have you part of the community and help you along your trail and ultra journey as well. Okay on with the show. Please welcome the Salt Lake Shred Monster, Mr. Anthony Castales. Trying to keep my voice going because it's like kind of raspy an hour now. And yeah. if I stop, then it like doesn't start choking up. <laughs> you got the, the post ultra throat <laughs> condition, man. It's actually from teaching like earlier last week and just hasn't gone away really yeah, yeah. i'm sure running 100ks didn't help out but yeah, no, anthony costales welcome to the podcast my friend it's really nice to see you and super appreciative of your time and uh yeah i think uh the best places to start is just to hear how you're feeling a couple of days removed from your awesome victory at the canyons 100k um feeling pretty good um surprisingly i thought the body would be a little bit worse than it is but um no, I, I, I said earlier to some people, I think like with the, the way the terrain is in California, how nice and how nice the dirt is and everything, I think it helps you out a little bit more on recovery than most races. It's so true. I think California yeah. makes people soft in so many ways. The weather is so good. The yeah. trails are so soft. There's like barely a rock to be seen in the entire state outside of Yosemite, but right. Uh, well, congratulations, man. You had an amazing race and we're going to go into it in great detail, but I think, uh, obviously a lot of people who are going to be listening to the show probably heard your name for the first time after this race. Uh, you've been on the scene for a few years now and you've amassed quite a resume in a few years. Mm -hmm. And, um, this was your hundred K debut, but, uh, before we get into the drama, in mm -hmm. uh in the sierras this this weekend let's go go back and uh why don't you start by just introducing yourself 
to the audience, maybe tell us a little bit about your childhood, your history with running and, and whatever else you think is relevant to do right, justice uh, to your story. Try to do that as quick or good and quick as possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, born, born and raised not too far away from where we raised, uh, in California, Fairfield, California. It sits like right between San Francisco and Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough, like kind of the first trail run I ever did as a, like in high school, our coach actually took us up to Auburn and took us up maybe even on part of the trail we were on uh, that day as like the first place I ever like kind of experienced like a real tra- trail run. So it's always kind of cool when you get to go back there and experience that. Um, but yeah, um, grew up there. Um, Ran like a little non, not too competitive stuff in like junior high, but got more serious in track and cross country in high school. Had a really good high school coach, like that would drive again out of his way. Like it's almost like an hour, hour and a half out of his way to take a bunch of high school kids up, up to go see a trail. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, from there, went uh, stayed in the SAC area, went to American River Junior College. And um, again, we still hit those, those same trails up and uh, went on up. Uh, a little bit more north uh, to Chico State. Yeah, Chico State has a quite a legacy now of creating uh, these yeah. assassin trail runners. I want to actually talk about that. But you do a cross country race with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Chico gang would absolutely murder a cross country scoring race of an ultra marathon with you and Tim Tollefson and and Jimmy Elam. I don't know if I'm missing anybody else. That uh, there's a couple. There, there's one new kid. I think it's. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now. He, he's uh, way before me. Connor Fisher, I think it is. Uh, he did Black Canyon. It was like top, like around like 10th. And it was the first 100K. He went from 10K to 100K. Nice. Well, you've taken a, a little bit easier of a progression and yeah, you've been very easy. successful in, in every race. Uh, distance that you've done. Actually, this is funny because you and I don't know each other, I guess we should say before we we launch into everything, but I've sort of, you know, kind of followed your career and admired you. And really the only time we've uh, sort of interacted was and this is not a brag. This is not a brag at all. So I passed you at like mile 49 of the TNF 50. Yeah. Both of us were completely. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was oh, amazing. Man, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know, I guess uh, maybe give a little color commentary there because yeah, the TNF 50 was your first 50 mile race. Uh, from mm-hmm. what I remember, you and I were both going in sort of coming yeah. off our own, our own injuries. And we both That's like fair. did our best to sort of be competitive and ultimately our legs both, uh, completely failed us. And, you know, we, we finished respectively, but yeah, I thought we, I thought we did. I thought we finished, we finished, we, finished, we got it done. And a lot, I think a lot of people wouldn't have. So uh, yeah. uh, well, felt good about finishing that last seven miles because it was pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it was right on the, I remember it was right on the golden gate bridge, right in the middle. Like you were, and you said something really funny, like what the hell happened out there? (laughs) (laughs) We didn't really have an excuse other than injuries. Like the day was perfect. Yeah. It was funny. Like it was such a nice day out there. It was actually like kind of one of those mysterious days because it seemed like so many people, Mm-hmm. had yeah rough rough days 
it was strange. I, I think it may have been kind of humid. Anyway, we don't need to talk about <laughs> no, 2050 no. in 2019, but yeah. it's funny because that's really our only interaction now. And, and yeah. uh, you've uh, clearly, you know, evolved as an athlete since then. And, and you uh, proved that you could go longer than 50K this past weekend yeah. at Canyons, which again, we'll get to. But I want to spend a little bit more time talking about your history. So, I mean, obviously you you live in Salt Lake city now, but you grew up in California. So uh, I guess just fill us in. How'd you end up, uh, in Salt Lake and, uh, yeah, sort of, uh, well, how long have you been there? Uh, I've been there. It's getting longer and longer now. I think I'm my seventh year in teaching. So seven, seven years. So it'd be yeah, seven years. Um, um, came here after, right after uh, graduating from Chico state, I did a teaching credential over there. And while I was doing a teaching credential, um, my girlfriend, now wife, um, she she was ready to get out of Chico, and she um, had a job, found a job, and she had a little bit of family, like family she could like just stay with out here, and just like kind of took a took a random job, and then as she was out here, she got a better job, and then drew me out here. I always thought I was gonna like kind of end up in Colorado or something like that, mm-hmm. and um, and then you know I came to visit her, and I was like, wow, this is awesome here and I the first thing we did was like we went to Brighton Ski Resort and I was thinking you know like being from California it's gonna take a little bit to get there and we drive out of her aunt's house and 15 minutes later we're driving in this canyon and 25 more minutes later we're there at the ski resort and I was like no way this is yeah this yeah. is awesome yeah <laughs> so so yeah that's what got me out out there and then and she uh my wife Katie like you know, flirted the idea of like leaving, like once I got out there, like pretty early after, and then she couldn't like take me away from it is what it's been more than anything. Really? Wow. Yeah. So I, I really, we really, but we both, we really love it out here. And, um, not just Salt Lake city. We go to Moab, like way too much. And, um, we take advantage of that too. That's sweet. So is your wife from California too? Yeah. She Southern California. So I, yeah, I guess she's cool. <laughs> sure. Just a couple Cali people uh, yeah. land, landed in, in Salt Lake. So what, what do you do for work there? Um, I'm a junior high PE teacher. Nice. Yeah. So you're, you're grooming the next generation of athletes to, uh, yeah. Take your, take your mantle eventually. Well, that's cool. Oh, man. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Salt Lake is just such an underrated destination. And I want to talk a little bit about kind of the group that you guys have forming yeah. out there. But as mm-hmm. you said, the access to the Alpine, but also having a lot of, I mean, I guess it's probably a drier uh, environment, a little bit lower altitude yeah. than a lot of the mountain West and mm-hmm. uh, the ability to go from downtown Salt Lake city to, yeah, to Alta or Brighton and, or even park city in like city, an yeah, hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's like an amazing training destination. And yeah, it is really cool. It's um, yeah. There's a, uh, all the ski resorts that you just said are right there. Um, University of Utah sits like kind of at the highest part of the city and right behind the University of Utah is the Bonneville shoreline trails and the foothills over there. And those, like you said, like those are a lot more dry and there, there's always something you could, there's like very few days of the year where something isn't runnable on a trail. Like you could, during this month, you go to the foothills or a month later, as that's drying up, you go get some really hard packed snow in park city and, and and so on so it it's kind of nice that you have a lot of options in different environments in such a close place yeah i mean as we said 
to start the conversation. California makes people soft in a lot of ways. And there's so many great year round training destinations in mm -hmm. California. And, uh, but yeah, Salt Lake city is just so cool. And we'll eventually get around to talking about what your guys' training environment is like, but it seems okay. like yeah, year round, you can obviously get super fit early in the season as you've proven this, mm -hmm. this year. But before we kind of fast forward, I'd love to kind of learn a little bit more about this, this whole Chico theme. I, I listened to yeah. uh, Mario Fraioli's podcast with uh, coach Gary town, which yeah. I thought was, was awesome. Yeah, I wondered if you wanted to kind of talk about your experience there. And I know you've spoken a little bit in the past about sort of uh, seeing your contemporaries and, and Tim and, and Jimmy sort of making a push on the trail scene and how that motivated you. So maybe talk a little bit about coach town and, uh, yeah, your your fellow Chico State graduates and how they've inspired you. Yeah, so um, Gary Town, I, I think, yeah, a lot of the reasons why he's producing some of these trail athletes is because we ran on the trails a lot. Um, every Sunday, nine o'clock, we'd be we'd be somewhere, we'd be like one of five places that was trail themed, and um, sometimes you could kind of pick your how technical you wanted the day, but um, you know, a lot of college coaches don't do that. They're so scared of their athlete rolling an ankle or something like that, that they don't get the experience that. And then we're also, we were also very fortunate that we had so many destinations within like a 25 or a whole 45 minutes away, which we thought was a big deal back then, yeah. you know, to go do these awesome, great trail runs. So I think that's like one of the big things. Um, I was never a part of this, but I'm pretty positive. Jimmy and Tim were, um, a lot of our team goes out to Truckee and, um, trains for the summer together they get houses they get jobs and they pack in way too many people into some giant house in Truckee <laughs> yeah. and Flint Rhett and they work at different there's a couple of different jobs that they pick up really quickly and again they're just like in that trail environment and I think that that has to do a little something with why you've seen you've seen Chico or produce or just seen a lot of Chico people come out on the trails a lot. Yeah, it's it's fascinating theme, and I think uh, Gary Town is is probably noticing a pattern himself, and maybe mm -hmm. starting to uh, I don't know prepare people for their post collegiate careers as trail runners. And for you, when you graduated, you it seemed like you sort of were focusing more on kind of the road scene, doing some marathons, and I think you've done the Olympic trials and things like mm -hmm. that. So talk about how you visualized your own racing and, and training going post-collegiately did you always kind of want to make uh, a go of things professionally did you have um, sort of olympic aspirations or i mean yeah i mean the main thing was i mean i, I went to school and i really did want to become a you know it was like i was more like thinking coaching back then um but you know a pe teacher and uh doing coaching and i did a credential program with junior high and i never thought i was going to get into junior high because i thought i'd be coaching high school or hopefully collegiately one day and I just really enjoyed it and um, kind of you're able to do like easy coaching with the, like not as serious coaching with junior high, which is kind of cool because it gives me a little bit more time to kind of go do my own training, which is yeah. awesome. Yep. Um, and I just feel like the, I like the curriculum a lot more. Um, I'm trying to think of what kind of led into that, but oh, shoot. Um, so that's kind of, or that, that, that was kind of the main focus, like out of college, but to your, there, your, to your question, like, um, to what I was seeing myself like professional or to do as a running athlete after college. Um, 
there was like SRA, the um, elite group in Sacramento that I had ties with. And I knew I was going to go run, run with them. Tim was running with them at the time. Right. And um, there was just a couple role models um, right after out of college that what they were doing, I kind of want to do. And the, the big two were Tim Tolson and uh, Danny Tapia. Um, I was a junior college. I ran against him in junior college and we were like pretty good friends, like uh, frenemies on um, days. And um, <laughs> yeah. he, he, uh, he won CIM marathon, um, in 2012 and I helped base him the first, uh, 12 or 13 before he dropped me. Huh. And, um, after that, that's when I was like, I want to go do that one day, like what he did. And then, and I didn't even really know too much about like Olympic trials and all that kind of stuff. And, and then when we heard Tim got the qualifier, like it was like this new, like kind of goal post thing to do after college. So Tim on the road actually is like kind of what got me doing that and then tim again later is the reason why i got into <laughs> trail running so oh, what a great story. Yes. yeah so talk a little bit about cim because i think that's uh an interesting thread here too and that you said that you paced one of your personal inspirations to yeah. victory uh or at least did did uh, your yeah. part in helping him secure a victory that day. And what a great story, but <laughs> you've had uh, some success there as well. I think you went and raced there and I guess it was 20, was it 2018 there when you ran two thirteen or so? So uh, yeah, it was 2017 or sorry, 20, 15 was when I ran 218. That was my debut. Okay. And it strictly was like going for the trial standard. And then 20, let's see, that was 2015 and 2017. You always think it's the next year because December is so close to the year. Yeah, right. Um, 2017 was, um, I had a really good one at um, the USATF championships and then had another solid one the next year at the USATF championships in 2018. There. And, and that's where you set your PR. And, and that was the day where, like yeah. everybody in the field set a PR is like the most perfect oh. weather in marathon history. Talk well, about the, that race a little bit. Well, I mean, it was the first, it was like one of the few races that, you know, like a bunch of Americans could go ran like Americans and pace, yeah. pace with each other and didn't get thrown, didn't, you know, you go to Chicago and, you know, it's an international race. You're, you're, if you want to race in the front, you're, it's not going to be a smooth race. And uh -huh that day it was like, we were like five Oh fives, like every single mile. Like it was just a huge pack of us. And it was, yeah, and it was almost like more of a time trial. It felt like the first half mar half marathon, 17 miles. And then maybe the last five is, or last five is when like thing, like, you know, like bows were starting to get thrown. Yeah. So I think that's why. So, I mean, it was perfect weather. Everyone's going to talk about the net downhill, but um, I think more than anything, it was just, and kind of like you're seeing right now on COVID today, you're seeing all these PRs yeah. because all these people are getting these perfectly paced races. Uh -huh. And that's kind of how I felt like it was in 2017. Ah, that's super interesting. Yeah. With these, these PRs and these kind of more controlled race mm -hmm. environments like Des's 50k yeah, and right. some of the stuff that the Bowerman athletes are doing. Oh, it's yeah. so funny remembering back to that 2018 CIM because that was the year that TNF 50 was canceled due to the wildfires. Yeah. And I was, uh, I had been living in California for a while at that point and had probably 10 friends who were doing CIM, some of yeah. whom only transferred into CIM after TNF 50 had been canceled. 
Mm-hmm. And like every single person ran a PR that day. It yeah, was like it was, it was the awesome. best, best conditions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Two years in a row. Two years in a row. Like, it was like the same story, but two years in a row. It was weird. But, and then that year that I told you about Danny, that, that guy paced that one at Danny, it was a horrific rainstorm. It was yeah. insane that day. So, I mean, every once in a while you get that, but yeah. usually it's a pretty perfect day in December. And one thing I always like to bring up too is like, you get a great training block. Uh, you know, like if you, if you run Chicago, like your big part of your training block is in August and that's a pretty brutal time for a lot of people to be training where CIM October is not a bad time in most places. to yeah, your biggest mileage. And yeah. I think that that's another thing that plays in the, that CIM magic as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, obviously we want to leave plenty of time to talk about your race uh, this past weekend, but you've been in the sport or been in the sort of trail scene for the last few years. You've had some awesome results. You've won the Moab Red Hot 55K a couple of times, which is one of the sort of premier early season races Mm -hmm. in the Mountain West. You've won Way Too Cool, which of course everybody knows is one of the premier early season races. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're now sort of uh, figuring out the longer distance stuff too after a tough one at at TNF 50 that obviously you didn't go into fully primed. But um, And then it seems like in 2020, you finished third at the Speed Goat uh, 50k near your home there in, uh, in Utah. I wondered if before we transfer or sort of transition and start talking more about canyons, if you want to talk a little bit about 2020, about, uh, coming off that TNF 50 in in 2019, what did you do in in 2020 in the year kind of without racing? You can sort of talk about that speed goat 50k race if you want, but obviously you started 2021 so strong. So I guess what I'm curious about is what you did during, the pandemic year that you think set you up so well to start the year off so strong um so pandemic year happened so tnf again like you said i was injured going into that i probably still i I shouldn't have ran that day it was really just being stuck (laughs) neither should i i I shouldn't have either i had more elliptical minutes than running minutes at the time and um so and it took me a while to recover from that and then my sports journey was still kind of bugging me so then i unfortunately had to take a little bit of extra time off for it. And it threw the Olympic trials out of the window. Um, and kind of the reason why I showed up to Olympic trials was, uh, I had people showing, showing up tickets and all that. Uh, and I had like just enough time where I could get there, run the race, like decently, you know, just run, like I could make it through. And I, I, you know, I think my first run, it was like on Christmas day and it was like 15 minutes. So I had like that much of a timeline for the end of February to get ready. And, um, you know, got through that. It was, uh, did what I needed to do there. Um, and then the pandemic hit two weeks later. I mean, that was the last normal thing actually, um, was the Olympic trials. Um, and then, yeah, a few weeks later, all the races started getting canceled. Um, and I wasn't, and I was actually starting to get really good fitness for uh, Lake Sonoma. Um, and you know, that got canceled and kind of took a couple easy weeks off. But then um, Jimmy talked me into doing this uh, thing we call the bow show out here. And it's basically the Salt Lake, every year the Salt Lake City Marathon happens. There's a bandit marathon that happens in the foothills. And it's like this like unofficial race that gets 
everyone there's like official times on the website but it's an unofficial race it's okay. really bizarre i never done it and since it was pandemic they didn't have people didn't show up all together it was like kind of go do it on your own mm-hmm. type of thing and put your straw in so him and i went out and did that he did all the navigation on it because it is kind of a pain in the butt <laughs> and uh he dragged me out there and we did it and uh set the new like course record for it which is actually noah's um course record. okay yeah and um so that was really fun and then kind of took some was unmot- unmotivated for a little bit thinking no races were happening and was running a little bit again but nothing too crazy structured and um then speedgoat was saying it was going to happen and we were, we were, we had our big doubt we had our doubts that it was going to happen and uh i signed up just for the heck of it, even though Spiegel always scares me because I watch people run that race and <laughs> it's such a brutal it, race, man. So brutal. I, I, God. Man, like I, I, I don't know why you would ever do that. Like Sage has done that like race so many times. And I'm like, I don't know how you just keep yeah, going. Like, I've I've done it twice and I'm I'm absolutely of the never again. Uh and obviously no disrespect to Carl Meltzer no. who's on the race and he does a great job and he puts money on the line for the pros and he's obviously a legend of the game himself, but the race is just like unreasonably and obnoxiously hard and just like oh, weirdest yeah. ways. Yeah. But I, I previewed that course. So like I started previewing the course and which was funny, like two weeks like a few weeks before I parked the car and I parked right next to Carl at the time. And we're talking and like, both of us are saying like the race director is saying like, yeah, this is probably not going to happen uh, at the time. And uh, so I previewed a bunch and I remember like there's one section I didn't preview and I thought about not doing it. It was like the, the, the end of the race when you come off the top of hidden peak. Yep. I was like, it's like the same thing going back. Like it's not a big deal. I don't need to do that. And I decided to do it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if I want to, if I would have went into this blind, I'd have been so pissed. <laughs> yeah, it's so That's like the worst path. part of the race. Yeah, I know, and, and you think it's all downhill to the finish, and it's not. It's like yeah. you're, you're scrambling through all this stuff. But yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, I got on the waiting list, and I did that, and and then the race ends up happening. And you're like, crap, I'm doing speed goat now, and um, it was cool though because it was a really competitive. There's a lot of big names showing up, so that was like the big incentive to do it, and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had, had a pretty good day or really good day. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, good, as good of the day as I could have asked for with like a year of like injuries um, in 2019 and yeah. not being able to race the first half of 2020. Um, do yeah. those do those types of races inspire you? I mean, obviously you've got the two thirteen marathon pedigree. Uh-huh. You can smash it as you've proven at races like Way Too Cool and now Canyons. Yeah. Do the more mountainous, more technical races uh, also inspire you? Do you do you feel like those uh, suit your skill set? Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't suit my skill set. I don't think I'm terrible at it. I don't think mm-hmm. it's my best thing at the yeah. same time i think i could i think i can handle it well i think i can handle everything kind of pretty well um but a lot of the races i've been trying to do like some of these golden trail series like mount blanc and uh-huh. like those like you know like i'm gonna need to learn how to descent pretty well and not easy train sometimes and um that was one of the bigger reasons to do speedgo and 
you know, it seems so miserable. Like if you get through that, then something like Canyons is really not that big of a deal. <laughs> and it kind of felt like that the other day. So. Yeah, it's so true. I feel a little bit bad for saying that about Speedgoat. It is an, an awesome race and it's totally oh. worthwhile for people to do. It's just kicked the shit out of me twice. And, oh, uh, yeah. and I, I don't need to prove prove anything anymore <laughs> that race goes it's, it's beaten me into submission enough <laughs> well that's awesome man i mean well obviously like 2020 worked out well for you just uh in looking at how your 2021 is started uh you went back and won the moab red hot 55k again in february and then you won another race in utah the behind the rocks 50 in March before obviously smashing canyons this past weekend. So a trifecta of wins under your belt. Uh, maybe talk about how the year has started for you with 2020 in the rearview mirror now and how those two races set you up for success at Canyon. Canyons. Um, well, the start of the year, um, one thing was I, I kind of didn't run a lot and like this goes back a little bit more, but like September, I just kind of had a little nagging injury and then Jimmy, finally kind of took time off after Jimmy won as a bear hunter because kind of inspired me a little bit. I'm like, I need to figure this out (laughs) and took a lot of time off, like, and stopped doing the, I'm going to run every three days and still be injured. And, um, finally got the injury off, everything all figured out by pretty much beginning of November. And I had my first child and my wife and I had our first child and, November or the end of November. So it's just starting to come back. So So time out for a sec, but that means that you were basically injured from before TNF 50 all the way until kind of November of the following year. So you were sort of compromised for a year, huh? Yeah. So, you know, it was my own fault because I was like, getting like braggy about it almost, I feel like, but I didn't get injured for like, almost like six or seven years dude i did the same thing man i just i convinced myself that i couldn't get injured and then in 2019 my life fell apart including my body and i just told it so arrogant yeah i was relating it to my job because like i move around so much on my job and just do so many random different things that's like almost like this little bit of training that you know doesn't get accounted for and and uh, you know i just do all i do all the basic things you know i do drills before workout i do yeah. I do a lot of little things though. So. But anyway, I got that first sports. It was like started out with a hip injury, then a sports hernia. And that was like, yeah, that was 2019, which knocked me out of Sonoma. And then and then what happened was I like in the later part of the summer 2019, finally was getting the sports hernia was getting fixed and I was getting back to normal. And then it was the end of September, the sports hernia came back and I was stubborn about it. And didn't treat the way I should have and then ran North base anyway on it. And yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The, the last injury I was talking about, it, it was pretty minor. It was just still, we were in the middle of the pandemic. There's no races. Yeah. Okay. And I just, I, I just kind of needed like some time off, not so much from time off from it all. Like not, not thinking like I need to rehab this as fast as I can. So I get to the next race. And that was like, that was the exhausting part was not so much being injured and the cross training, but just like thinking, thinking about the next thing and trying to get there in time. Yeah. So it was Man. really nice to take that long block of time off. Yeah. And it, not worry about it. Uh, such a good point, isn't it? It's like when we're injured and we still place something on the calendar of like, yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be injured now and I'm going to rehab and stuff, but then I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do this race. Mm-hmm. And then as you get closer and it becomes 
more and more clear that you're not going to be in good form. You either force yourself to do it anyway and set yourself back, or you just get super disappointed and have to pull out. And yeah, you got to really just kind of embrace the, yeah, the injury and and allow yourself to to heal before you start putting things back on the calendar. Again, it's another big learning experience from my year of injury as well. So anyway, we were talking about how you, how you started uh, the year this year and and how those two races set you up for Canyon so well last weekend. Um, Yeah, they, they set me up well. It was uh, red hot was supposed to be um, way too cool. 50 K as well as the plan to do, but it got canceled. And then, um, just funny because it was like I did like a really big long run it got canceled like that day and then like randomly Red Hot was like do you want to come race and it was like two weeks later I was like man like just did like a 30 mile run or yeah, like yeah. 20 mile run today and um I took advantage of it and uh and um went to go do it anyway um and uh and again it's a, just we go out to Moab anyway it's just the excuse to go out there and did that race went went really well just kind of tuned some things up and um, that's a, just a really fun, fun, fun race to how fast you could run it. Um, and yeah, I hadn't done that in a long time. So that was really cool. And, um, yeah, this is a technical train is fun. And, um, and then the behind the rocks was more of a training run and what can I figure out? What little things do I need to figure out? um now so then when i go to canyons i don't mess up later and i figured out a few of them out like you know like make sure your batteries and your headlamp are fully charged because they weren't <laughs> that day and i could barely see the first uh, 45 minutes of the of the run and um there's some other stuff other stuff happened as well but so that was like kind of the main incentive and to get a like a six seven hour long run and was other yeah. idea that's great. So you use it mostly as training. Can you give us some insight into how you train? Uh, I think you put most of your stuff on Strava. I was just perusing a little bit, didn't have a ton of yeah. time to go into the details, but maybe talk a little bit about whether or not you have a coach. If so, kind of okay. what are you guys working on? If not, how do you kind of navigate your training on your own? Um, for a coach, I don't have a coach. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I've been able to pull it off without a coach, I guess is one reason. Um, in the early years out of college, uh, my college coach, I, I right away was like, Oh, you're going to still coach me. And he kind of gave me a look like, no, I'm not because he has a lot of athletes to work with. I is that, is that Gary Town? Yeah. Gary Town. But I mean, it was super <laughs> unreasonable the way I approached it. Yeah. Was like he was going to do it, but I could like, tell his voice like, yeah, I shouldn't be asking. Like, he, I, and I knew I was his assistant coach. He didn't have the time to do this take on every alumni that wants to continue. Yeah, yeah. Time. So what happened was I was like, well, you set up something with one of our other alums, Aaliyah Gray, who's like a really, she was like a top, top 10 runner at us trials. Uh, she, I was like, you, you gave her a CIM plan. Like, how about you just give me that? And I could kind of work with it. And, um, I joked around. I was like, he was like more my advisor that, that, that year. Like I would call him every like month and be like, this is what's going on. Like, what do you think? Or, um, you know, if like someone was coming up, he, he just give me some advice mm-hmm. more than like the coach, coach you talk to every day or every week. Yeah. Um, and it worked out really well. Um, was able to put a, put a strong, a strong debut marathon together. And, um, and after that, um, really been coached on my own. I came back to him once other time because I was coming out of injury and it was for the trials. Um, 
but and I just didn't want to get re-injured, so I just needed a little bit of a little bit of guidance to not mess things up. But yeah, co- coach, coach myself and um, for runs and Strava and all that. Um, what you see on Strava is I don't know, probably seventy five percent of what I do. Um, yeah, you got some secret training. You're not. You're not. No, up I there? no. J- Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy always like gets on me about. It. He's like, you got to put everything on Strava. I'm like, I can't. All right. I like using it, but it's so much data. Sometimes I, I need to get away from it. <laughs> okay. um, and so it's not like secret training at, at all. I just, I just sometimes don't like to know how fast I'm going on an aerobic run or okay. stuff like that. So, so I, like I, you, you just won't bring a watch with you at all. Mo- yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For most of the years, I, I didn't on any aerobic run. I wouldn't even use a watch lately. I, and I've gotten better at it now. Um, I do all my, I do a lot of my aerobic runs to work and back and okay. uh, to save time. And Strava has that commute feature on it. And I thought okay. that was kind of cool. So that's the reason why I log aerobic runs now is because I kind of want to see what my commute miles are at the end of the year, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of a cool feature. Um, but yeah, I, I only use it most of the time when you see something posted is because I, I want to see what I, I need to see it. Okay. Or I needed a workout. I needed to use the watch for the workout. Um, but I've been using a lot more this year than I ever have. But I mean, if you go back to my shop, like the few years before you'd hardly, it'd be probably 30% of my runs would be in there. Well, if you're, if you're open to sharing, maybe give us a little glimpse into what your training was like going into canyons or as somebody who's self-coached, what the strategy was behind the workouts and the long runs that you were doing and how you think they may have set you up for success? Um, one of the things going into it, I knew the climbs weren't going to be crazy hard at um, canyons. I knew it was gonna, a lot of elevation game, but again, like we said, the train is just so nice there that even if it's the same amount of feet per mile, it's not the same as it is out here when it's loose and rocky and yeah, uh, it's just a little bit more steep. So one of the things that speed goat I learned was when it got like extremely steep, on like Baldy or something like that, that's where like, no, it just annihilated me. So I did a lot more of that because that's where I learned my weakest spot was at, even though that wasn't in the race much here, uh-huh. but it was really nice because nothing felt unreasonable at all during that, that race. Um, yeah. You know, it reminds me of something that Jimmy said, uh, I think mm-hmm. on the podcast and that yeah. he likes to make his training harder than the terrain that he's going to encounter yeah. during the race. Mm-hmm. And that's, and it, I was like, and I was probably just trying to talk myself up into it and Noah's being like, uh, you know, more graceful about it. But we're talking about training. I'm like, I mean, it's not, it's nothing's going to be worse than like what we're doing in the foothills. He's like, yeah. And he got there a day before me. He's like, yeah, like, I mean, there's some stuff out there and he's, he's talking and he's like, I mean, there's some rocks. I mean, there's a lot of pine needles on there right now. And I'm like, no, pine needles. Is that what we're at right now? I'm like, and then like, he's like, yeah, it's pretty smooth out there. And we just start backing up. <laughs> And then of course they're in the race, like we did get on those pine needles and you're like slipping on them like it's snow. Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, for, for training wise, um, um, I try to get two to two workouts in a week and a big long run. Sometimes a workout is mixed in with that long run, just depending on the schedule and um where I'm at. Um, like I said, I have a um five month old, so got a lot of responsibilities right now, making sure I get home as quick as I can. So that's why I do a lot of the runs from work 
working back and it's not it's only three and a half miles to my work but i'll make it anywhere from 12 and four is pretty much the the quickest unless like i'm late to work or something like that and i yeah. take the fastest route there yeah um sometimes right after work i'll i'll run from work into a into a workout if it's uh something i'm going to do that's more like a fast workout um you're one of those people who does hard workouts in the afternoon. It always blows my mind. I'm like, yeah, I have to do my, my training first thing in the morning, especially intensity. Otherwise I'm completely useless. It's so hard. I mean, it's like, um, it's being being on your feet all day. day It's actually probably a great training stimulus, huh? Like as, as a gym teacher, you're, you're Mm -hmm. sort of probably pretty tired. You've been on your feet most of the day and then you got to go into a workout on, on sort of lower Um, energy. Yeah, honestly, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like when I, I'm looking at this nine hour race, I'm like, well, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like pretend you're running in the middle of your work day. It's this is brilliant. A, this is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And I do a lot of stuff with the students, like like playing games. So I'm like being active the whole, a lot of the time where I have to be standing. I'm not at a computer. So there's a ton of time on feet. And um, yeah, I've definitely thought about that. Like, during during this training block i guess that you brought yeah. up um and it um but yeah uh usually try to get a really big long one and um on saturday the way the work schedule is with covid right now i get to go into work a tad bit later on fridays um with our our students are coming on friday so i get to come in a tad later so i try to do a like an 18 in the morning before work and then, so it's like a kind of a smaller long run. And then I do a longer long run in like the trails, more, more, uh, training based for like whatever trail race is coming up, um, in the foothills, like on that Saturday morning, man, what a brilliant, uh, training strategy. And maybe you came about it accidentally just by virtue of what you do professionally, yeah. but yeah, you can see how that, uh, yeah, what your, your occupation as a gym teacher and being on your feet all day and then going out in the afternoons and doing a hard workout would translate well to, yeah, the late stages of a hundred K race as it did last weekend. So let's talk about the race itself. Uh, maybe just give us the, the encapsulated blow by blow from your perspective. How did it play out for you? Any highlights or lowlights that you think are worth mentioning? Um, it was, it was really a big chess match through 30. I feel like in the beginning, like I didn't know, like, like we were just hanging out. We were, we were talking so much, like we were all buddies through like 20, 25 miles yeah. and then a couple of hard sections, you know, get quiet, then it get flat and we'd start talking again. Um, that was, uh, Noah, Max, um, new kid or, uh, Preston. I'm not sure his last name, but knew the scene, which was total, totally cool kid out there. And, uh, <laughs> and it's funny. Walk, I recorded a podcast just sort of debriefing the race. Yeah, with I listened, a, I listened yeah, to yeah. So we we talked about this kid, Preston Cates. And oh, yeah. It seems like he was a, a character. It seems like everybody got a kick out of him. Yeah, he, you know, we were running right away from like mile one, pretty much mile one. And he was talking to me, uh, just talking to me about some things and how long I've been in the sport and marathon. And I was learning, he was like, it was from Arkansas. He went to the school at Arkansas and um, was fresh out of college, it sounded like. Which I've, it was funny because like we're running together and you know he, I hear like you know he's going for a golden ticket he's saying it out loud and and um, 
I'm like, cool. I, I, you never know. I mean, what's going to happen. And, but you know, like you said, he has his hydration pack on that looks like it's <laughs> yeah. you know, in the 90s and <laughs> he's running like Nike road shoes. And I'm like, I will see how long he hit six around. Yeah. And he's like, what's that like 20 or what's that like close to 30 miles. And, and I was like, man, this kid's going to do really well. Or like this poor kid at the same time. <laughs> I, I wanted it too. And, uh, but it was the funniest thing about it was there's a top point where Max, Noah and I and Preston were running together and he's talking to us and he pretty much figures out right then, like we're all Solomon athletes. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, you guys are all Solomon athletes. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause he's trying to figure out if we know each other, but Noah and I were like, yeah, we know each other, but we just know Max through like sponsorship stuff. Sure. And, uh, he's like, I just applied to your guys' camp. Nice. And it was just so funny. I'm like, this is awesome. This is like the perfect person that we wanted to apply to our <laughs> yes. camp. And he's like running with us through the first like 30 miles of this race. So it was a really cool story. We're like, you're going to get into that camp. <laughs> like after Amazing. That. Oh, I got to have this youngster on the podcast eventually. Yeah, it, was, it, was cool. it sounds like an entertaining young man. So, all right. So let's talk. Yeah. So pick up sort of after halfway, you said you guys were sort of running fairly easy. It was a chess match. You were conversating through mm-hmm. about halfway, which is Forest Hill. You're running backwards on the Western States course, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, when, at what point did you kind of start to pull away? And yeah, any other, like I said, highlights or lowlights there in the second half that you think are worth mentioning? Um, so, you know, yeah, we were all together, uh, tw- 25 or miles, or uh, the eight station at 25. Um, they kind of took off pretty quick and, I was kind of, I tried to wait up for Noah a little bit. He wasn't feeling too great and it took me a while to catch back up to him. But um, yeah, I'm trying to think of it. So then up to Forest Hill. So yeah, there's four of us and let's see, basically uh, we we're, were doing a lot of walking on some of the hills, which was fine in the beginning because some of them were steeper. And then we got to some of them and I was like, again, being like where we train at, we were walking on some, I was like, I don't feel right. Like walking on this right now. Like, I know I, everyone keeps saying, be patient, be patient, be patient. But it, it was, I was like, are we being patient or are we playing again? Or are we playing chess right now? Yeah. And I wasn't really sure. And then like, I was, wasn't leading at the point and it was like the last climb before Michigan or not Michigan, but Forest Hill. I was like, all right, I can't walk anymore. Like on this grade, like I'm just going to lightly run and pulled away. Like, and I didn't know Forest Hill was right there, pulled away barely by like, 30 seconds by the time we got to Fort Hill. Okay. And then right then was when things kind of op- started really opening up after that aid station. Um, Cole and I were running down the next di- uh, like asphalt downhill for a while after Fort Hill. Yep. And then he kind of, I was just a couple of steps in front of him and we we're going down, going down, going down. And then we got done with that. I was like, oh, thank God we're off this asphalt, you know, and trail yeah. shoes. And, and then I thought it was Cole, but it was actually Max. And then it was just him and I for a little bit. And uh, over the next climb after that, um, I just slowly pulled away from Max. And then, yeah, it was uh, kind of like you're not really sure where everybody's at at that point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess the biggest notable part of the race was after Michigan Bluff did the big downhill. And then we had, the I thought, the biggest climb of the day was another, like, three miles up to the next aid station at Deadwood. Well, at Deadwood, there's an out and back section. It's only like it was only like a quarter or half mile out and back, which is great because you get to see yep. where people are at if they're 
within striking distance of you. Well, approximately, I don't know. approximately what mile is that? That is um around 45, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, 45 or 40, 44. Um, so at that point, you know, I'm I'm thinking it's max or cold for sure, right? Gonna be behind me. And I've, you know, knows my buddy, and I'm like a little bummed that he even said verbally, like, I'm not feeling too good, you know, and yeah. thought he's having a bad day, and I'm coming down this uh out and back section, and all of a sudden, and I'm starting to feel it a little bit at that point because it was a long period of a uphill and just nobody to kind of like you know the crowd gets your adrenaline up and stuff sure. yeah. so it was just kind of a little bit of a, that was the only low point in the race I, i'd say and i'm coming down and it's noah and i got so stoked i was like you know like f yeah because you know we're friends and yeah, like, yeah. we're taking this one too and like, yes. I mean, like he, he wasn't even that far behind i was like how many just want to wait for him you know and, and i was like awesome i'm like yeah like yeah. And then, and I keep running and I, and then that's when I thought I was like, well, I better start crushing it because Noah's a way better climber than me and I need to get going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone's saying the last, like, uh, last part of the race is the hardest part. And, um, so then I just started, you know, trying to hold off Noah's from what I thought as long as I could at that point. And, yeah. um, unfortunately he started to go backwards, not backwards, but he just started, Max ended up catching him, but he started to go backwards at that point. Um, and, and, uh, I was able to cruise in, I guess the last, uh, last 10 miles of the race. Hell yeah, dude. Congratulations. What an awesome description too of your feeling of seeing Noah. It's I think emblematic of the positive sum mentality in our sports and seeing your, your training buddy, not far behind you and it giving you just a huge inspiration and, and a note of personal pride of where you live and who you train with. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a great thing. And obviously Max took a, a wrong turn. Yeah, um, not yeah. long after he was, you guys were probably running together on bath road. As yeah, you it, described. It I don't know where, where it happened. Dude, uh, you guys would have had a freaking battle if he didn't yeah, uh, miss that had, turn. Huh? Yeah. I'm like, dude, dude, what if, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it just pissed Max, Max off and he just went into crazy mode or the, Dude, I think because man, I, I can't believe it. I think he wanted that. I think he wanted that golden ticket desperately, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was awesome to see. I'm so excited to see you guys. Yeah, race at Western States. So, so this was your 100k debut. Uh, was there anything that that you learned or that you think you could have done better uh, as you look ahead towards Western States? Um, it was such a good day out there. It's kind of hard to like say many things. I feel like I could have done better. Um, I mean, that's I a good like feeling, I, man. That's I a great like, feeling. Yeah. I feel like I was patient. Um, I know I said like, I couldn't handle like some of the walking more and kind of took off, but I think that's just where fitness was and like training, training was on like the, the environments. Um, nutrition was extremely well. Um, kind of got just, yeah, I'm not, it's yeah got to figure out how to add 40 more miles to it, I guess. Is, <laughs> is what it is now. No, I mean, um, I think the challenge yeah. for you is, yeah, coming off such an awesome victory where you executed it well, where you were patient, where you ultimately mm -hmm. won fairly comfortably, even though Max probably would have been much, yeah, much, was. much closer. I mean, you, you ran consistently and you closed well. It wasn't as if you 
cratered at the end or anything like that. So I think the challenge for you is more just to approach Western States with the same attitude and with the same respect for the distance and yeah, exactly. yeah but play the chess match a little bit and don't get, get too far ahead of yourselves because you will have to run an extra 40 miles if all you goes well. And the good thing is we've already run the elevation. Yeah, it's awesome, man. That's so awesome, I guess there was a, there was some banter on the internet after you guys had oh, yeah. finished the, the photograph of the three of you at the finish line and you're holding your baby like uh you're about to pose for the heisman trophy it's the most adorable thing ever so talk a little bit about being a a new dad with a five-month-old and and maybe if that inspired you at all uh going into the race this weekend well what's funny is like that picture's on there and actually i was just holding my baby and then we all came together yeah Uh, and i was and i grabbed my i'm like get the baby like we no, not everybody wants a picture (laughs) with a baby you know and then that's the one they post. post uh, it was but, freaking um, adorable, man. It I know, was so but cute. I don't know. I just, you know, it's it, it's interesting. It's just yeah. a personal thing, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. so it was, um, yeah, it's been it's been really really it's been going really well. Um, she's a pretty good sleeper, so I'm really happy about that because that could have been a really big bad, bad game changer for for us, but. Yeah. Still, I mean, I still wake up at three o'clock every other night to theater and stuff, but yeah. yeah, it's a different lifestyle. Um, learned a lot from it. Um, my wife and I just, yeah, really work well together and she's extremely supportive of everything I do. So that's the only reason why it's able to happen. Amazing. Um, yeah. So it, it's been a fun five months and, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah. Uh, in, inspiration kind of I haven't lost one yet, I guess. So that's yes. kind of cool because you know she's she, we joke she's crewed at every single one of them, and that's uh, she's right. been every single time I passed her, hey. and it was Michigan Bluff. I went past, and I could see the shore. I'm like, she awake? And they're like, no, she's asleep. I'm like, she's never awake when I when I run past. She doesn't care, man. She doesn't care. No. Well, she's yeah. Not yeah. Now you got to keep the streak alive at Western States, but yeah, you got it. You got to get that picture framed, man. So that you can show, show, uh, your daughter in 25 years when she doesn't think you're cool anymore or whatever you can say yeah. like, when you were a baby, daddy was smashing these races Yeah, right. and, uh, yeah, anyway, you'll be cool in her eyes forever. So anyway, let's, let's look ahead towards Western States before we yeah. let you go. Okay. Yeah. So were you coming into canyons with the, express goal of, of capturing that golden ticket into Western States. And did you have any reluctance about taking it, uh, once you'd achieved it? Um, going like into race day for, sh- I, I knew if I was getting top two, I was going to take it. Um, uh, if you go backwards two, three weeks ago, it's less likely I would have took it. And then six weeks ago, or when, it, when I first signed up, I wasn't thinking about it really at all. Um, I was planning to do Lake Sonoma, but that got canceled. And then what ended up happening was I just signed up for Canyons, even though I just kind of thought this is probably not going to happen anyway, but it's a sack field. Like we should uh, still got to put your name in the hat just in case it does roll through. Um, and yeah, it's uh, surprisingly it went off. And uh, then now you're thinking about the golden ticket a little bit more. And um in that time of that happening, um, some races that I had planned going overseas got canceled. We still can't potentially travel overseas. Um, U.S. athletes still up in the air right now, so is becoming more on the mind. And then the big, the big factor I think is the uh, the field is so good there this year that if you got it, if you got a gold ticket, 
I get, you have to take it just because of that field that's uh, there this year. No doubt. No doubt, man. And everybody's going to be very excited to see how you perform in such a stacked field and coming into the race. You seem to have probably the fastest marathon PR of any of the guys in the field. Of course, you will have many really talented athletes with similar pedigree like Jim Walmsley and Hayden Hawks and Max King and Tim, Tim Tollefson and Matt Daniels, Jared yep. Hazen, all these super fast guys who sort of come from a more traditional road and track background like yourself. Um, how are you thinking about the race strategically about how you might approach it with such a stacked field? And also how are you thinking ahead uh, to the next nine weeks uh, of training that separate today from race day um thinking how, how we're gonna approach it um definitely depends on how training does go um hopefully everything keeps rolling right off um biggest thing is getting their health healthy um yeah it's, it's 40 more miles um gonna have to you know talk to some experienced guys even though right might be racing some of them like it's good to probably pick their brain like maybe learn as much as i can um hopefully have a good crew. That's just a experienced crew out there. Um, that'll help, you know, guide me through some of the down, down times and whenever, whenever that comes across, but, uh, it's going to be a new experience. So it's kind of, it's like, like this weekend, I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to be. So that, that's, but it's exciting. It's exciting as well. Um, for training wise, um, yeah, you're right. Nine weeks. Um, and we just spent the last two weeks sabering and got to recover now. And, Got to taper two more weeks before the race. So the, the training block definitely isn't ideal. I would love a way bigger training block, but um, that's the cards are dealt. And um, again, just got to roll off fitness, roll off um, maybe some confidence and and see what we can pull together. Yeah, it's a great point. And just looking back at what you've done in the last couple of months, winning the Red Hot 55K, which we talked about, Behind the Rocks 50, and now Canyons, you're clearly in good shape. So yeah, the priority should be to recover from this huge effort. Yeah. Be proud of yourself for a few days before you start getting in Western States mode. And then, yeah, show up with that confidence and uh, with the fitness that you clearly already have. No need to go break any records here in the next two months. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No new training, no new training philosophies or yeah. something like that. It would, uh, such a small window. Totally dude. And yeah, just approach it with the same attitude you did at canyons, respect the distance, play it like a chess game. You know, yeah. you're not, not going to win in the first few moves uh, unless you're, you know, watching the queen's gambit or whatever, but <laughs> Uh, well, dude, this has been so fun. It's been awesome to, to get to know you a little bit more and to learn your story and, and to help you share it. I think a lot of people are going to be very excited to see you line up in uh, Olympic Valley in just a couple of months. Before we let you go, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to shout out uh, your running community there in Salt Lake City. It's been amazing to see uh, the sort of group that you guys have put together. Obviously, you mentioned Jimmy a few times, Jimmy Elam, who's been on the podcast. You mentioned Noah Brottingham, who finished third to you. And Max King at Canyons over the weekend is a great runner himself. So maybe just give uh, the listeners a little glimpse into the little posse you guys have in Salt Lake City and how that's helped your training. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't have like an official group or anything. But yeah, out here we're just like a bunch of full-time working guys that get together when we can we all have different schedules um 
And we do, we have fun in the mountains. Um, and it's a great time. Um, we, we always talk about being more structured, but together, but it doesn't end up happening as much as we would want because again, our just job situations are so different. And also our, our training is a lot different as well. Um, I always joke whenever I'm with Jimmy, I'm going to have a fun day because you usually do fun things, which <laughs> it's not going to be like a, is a road run that day. Yeah. Um, and same thing with Noah. Um, but yeah, we have a really, really fun group here. It's just, uh, it's great training ground and, um, good people. Well, awesome, man. Well, uh, again, congratulations. Bring that, uh, that blue collar work ethic. All you guys mm-hmm. have a day jobs and still kicking ass. It's inspiring to see. And I think it'll serve you well here in, uh, in a couple of short months, but Anthony, thanks so much for joining us on the show and can't wait to, to see how things go for you at Western States. Thanks so much for having me on. It was fun. Okay, that's it for another episode. Thank you guys so much always for listening. Always appreciate your time and attention. Thanks so much to Anthony for being an awesome guest. So great to learn a little bit more about him and I am super excited to see how he does in the future. Go follow Anthony on Instagram. You can find a link to that in the show notes. And if you do enjoy the show, make sure you throw him a DM. Let him know uh, that you appreciated his time as well. Throw him a good luck for Western States. And uh, yeah, don't be afraid to share, share the podcast with your friends. I always enjoy hearing from you guys too. And always super appreciate when you guys share it on Instagram or Twitter. And uh, yeah, love uh, bringing more people into the show. The show is definitely growing. It's making me super, super happy. And uh, really, really just appreciate each and every one of you for always being here and for supporting the show. We'll talk to you very soon. Again, we've got Beth Pascal coming up in just a couple of days. So stay locked and loaded. We are coming out of this pandemic. There's racing going on. There's hope on the horizon. Let's go get it together. Love you guys. Talk to you soon.